Hi everybody, you're listening to The Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. This episode is the second half of our interview with Wawa. And if you didn't get a chance to hear the first half yet, we strongly recommend you go back one episode and listen to that first. Now continuing our conversation with Wawa. And how does the Chinese rope scene compare to other other places you've been? Because you've travelled quite a lot. What are the, the unique characteristics of the Chinese scene versus other places? Mm, I think every place is unique to its own culture. Everything is related to the habits, the social habits, the social etiquette, and the also the politics of the country, right? So definitely in China, there is a lot more, um, not necessarily shame, but there's a lot more sense of privacy about how you communicate shibari. So there's a lot of these key terms that people use for talking on the internet. Um, and for a lot of people, they don't have as much access to find um, partners So I have noticed that a lot of events, people are single. They don't have a set partner. They just play with people who they meet at the events. And then through the events, they kind of gather play partners. So for my experience in Shanghai, a lot of my students and a lot of my community are not set couples. But that's different for different cities. So when I went to Chengdu, for example, a lot of people have like a a submissive and a dominant and they're a set partner. They may play with other people, but they have their set partners. Mm. So China is a very big culture. So I guess every single province, there will be very different um, cultures and way of doing rope. Some are a little bit more male-dominated. Some are more female-dominated. Some are more queer. Uh, there are some that treat shibari very much as an artistic practice. There are some that are very, very strict about the idea of being sexual. So I like that it's so diverse. Um, yeah, I think there's even more to explore in China that I don't know yet because there's so many provinces I haven't been to yet. In your experience in the rope scene in China, are the expats, the foreigners, and the local mm-hmm. Chinese people separated or do they mix together? Yes. So at the beginning, when I first got um, involved with the BDSM community in Shanghai, I was involved with the expat community. And the expat community have a very clear system and they're very discreet and very careful about their screening process. Um, So it's smaller, but it's very contained. Whilst the Chinese one, I think it's very welcoming to foreigners. There's never really any... Um, 
there's never really any exclusivity about it. It's just about language barrier, really. So mostly the expat community stay together just because they don't have the vocabulary to be able to communicate otherwise. In my own community with Borderline and with a lot of the other teachers, for example, 815, Davide's scene, it's majority Chinese with some foreigners involved in it too. So it's a bit more of a mix. But definitely in China, the issue is mostly just about language barrier because a lot of people here don't speak English. Um, you talked about art and performance art being a big um, inspiration for you. Can you tell us a bit more about how art and rope combine in your work? Mm. So for me, Shibari is very much about expression of very human um, and very innate emotions. And this is how I treated performance art as well. And I was very inspired by performance art in China. One, I think it represented a sense of anarchy as well, because there's so many rules around the way you talk, right? There's a lot of censorship in this country, but it doesn't prevent people from wanting to express. They just have to find their own ways. So that's why I was very inspired by the performance art scene in Shanghai. And I saw some things that were very violent, too. And just like I even saw one of the most moving performances I saw was just two people throwing rocks at each other. <laughs> yeah, they were throwing rocks at each other. from, And the rocks were from a broken wall. And their space that they were allowed to work in the government made some stupid rule where they had to knock the wall down because they weren't allowed to have separate spaces. But the government didn't do anything about taking away the material, so they literally knocked the wall down and left a pile of rocks separating their two rooms. So these two artists would just use the rocks and throw them at each other, and that was just one performance. So, That's interesting. I, yeah, it's very interesting. I feel like performance art has created this beautiful almost ambiguous hall where you can express very, very sensitive matters. And that's also where I relate it to BDSM. I've always related BDSM as an expression of a lot of private and a lot of intimate details about human life and human sexuality. And performance art, in my opinion, is another way of revealing that. So... I did a lot of stuff that was involving nudity and involving the human body and sex in my work. And a lot of times my kink personal life, so how I tend to play sexually, influences what I choose to do in performances. And a lot of materials and methods and uh, play scenes that I've done as a performance have then influenced my kinky life. So I really see them as very related. Did you ever have problems with the police or with the government in China because of what you do? Yes, there's always been some problems. And I think Chinese people are really great with... They have such a... Um, they're so used to police giving you shit that it's never been a deterrent, which is really beautiful to see. Uh, every single time a place gets shut down, someone will just make a new place. Every time a word gets censored, we make a new word up for it. So there's no way to stop people from being able to create a community here, which is amazing. Um, but I've had really stupid reasons for police. One was quite funny. Uh, one time I was stopping over in Shenzhen, which is a southern city near Hong Kong. 
And uh, I have a friend there who I haven't seen in a long time. And she was like, I really want to be tied by you, but I don't have a private place to tie. I'm living with my family at the moment. And so we just found a park in the middle of the night and I tied her to the tree. And it was a very big park, and there was I think there was a fisherman doing night fishing nearby us. And I think he got terrified and thought that I was torturing and kidnapping someone. And he called the police, and like about six police cars came over. Whoa. And us. it was really big, but I remember in that moment, she was blindfolded. And what could I do to make sure that she could get out of this safely? I couldn't panic and be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Bring her down and, and think of myself as a bad person. Think of myself as a criminal because I'm just feeding into what they expected. So I very calmly, I was like, OK, I need to take her down. She's in a suspension. I'm going to do it slowly and carefully so that she doesn't get hurt. And I started giving them a bit of a performance, like <sighs> really letting her trail around, flinging it. They're like, hmm, what's this? <laughs> This is just kind of artistic, like, and they started taking pictures um, of her. And obviously, like, I couldn't tell them not to because police. Yeah, gave him the contest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I actually just gave him a whole performance. And then he was like, OK, I can see that you two are friends. And like, I don't know what you're really doing, but like, just do it at home. <laughs> <laughs> Get a room. And yeah, obviously, I know the difference is that we're both two young girls. Hmm. I think it would be a very different context if it was an older Chinese man tying a younger Chinese girl. Hmm. Definitely, it would seem much worse. And I don't know if he'd be able to talk his way out of it in the way that I did. So to me, that was a funny experience. But I can also see that that is not something that could easily be the same for other people. Hey, guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. Um, that was one of my experiences. And one of the big ones was when we invited Kinoko Hajime to do a performance and a workshop. We did a workshop in a separate space and I was the model and then people were taking photographs and then we did a performance in a theater space and people took photographs. The issue is not with the act itself, it's with the photographs. And since then, all of us in the community have been very, very careful about photography at events. The reason why the police came was a very strange reason, too. They weren't even from Shanghai. They were from Qingdao, which is a northern city. And what had happened is a girl who had attended our events had taken pictures of the event, shared them, and she had been involved in something else. I don't even know if it was BDSM related, but the way police work in China is as soon as you're arrested or as soon as someone has filed a report on you, they have access to everything about you. 
So they will go through all of your phone records. They'll go through all of your your computer if they need to. They'll search your house. They have the right to do whatever they like as soon as you're in police custody. Um, so we don't know what the cause was, but we know that due to this one individual, they had found photos that she had taken of the performance and the workshop, and it looked a little bit dodgy to them. Mm. Um, the workshop ones I can understand. There are ones of me like basically with my legs open, upside down, and a whole circle of people staring mm. with a blank face. And it was black and white. It was kind of fuzzy photos. It looked kind of cultish. Um, and then the performance itself, they started to give us more excuses, basically saying you don't have a license, um, and then also affecting the venue owner. So we had a lot of pressure basically but not really anything uh, substantial which is the way China works they scare you basically they scare you without giving you anything uh, very clear about what you did and what you did wrong so China has an obscenity law so there's no pornography allowed so anything that could be seen as somewhat sexual and done in a public space or shared or shared for profit can be under the law of pornography so a lot of us got scared. Um, we deleted group chats after that. We avoided events. And that has reoccurred over the years with not just me. That's recurred with many different people. Some cases it's been someone reporting. It might be someone who works for the government or it might just be a disgruntled person uh, reporting. A lot of uh, events do get raided. Um, but usually the more careful we are, we've learned specific details that help to run events more smoothly. For example, no photography allowed or maybe just an official photographer. Uh, that has been the main thing. And also how you promote the event on the posters, what words that you use. I do like to use things like rope art when I do posters and when I uh, write public uh, publicity kind of articles. Don't show photos. Obviously, no nudity. That's Definitely save that for your personal Twitters and whatever. But on a WeChat, no nudity. Um, even the choice of body shape, we've become a lot more careful about how we censor our own work. Uh, for example, showing things of just in a gote, in clothes, but not with the legs open or maybe not with the underwear showing. So we've become very, very careful about how we promote it, which is also part of the reason why I'm, I'm, quite happy to leave too mm. is that I have self-censoring a lot of my work for a long time and it does distort the way people see rope so that's why there are these two camps in China a lot where people are like you shouldn't make it public at all we should just keep it in the underground where we can keep it true to its origins of BDSM we can be as sex positive as we like mm -hmm. and there are people who have seen it through club events and who've seen it through workshops and been like I didn't realize it had anything to do with sex at all. And sometimes when they go to the, a different event, they get shocked because yeah, for sure. that's what they expect. Okay. So it's quite interesting how censorship can affect people's mindset in that way. So now that you're moving out of China, we're going to get to see the real you for the first time because you will have a lot less censorship on you. But also, I think there's a reason why I've been able to handle it for a long time. And I think for me personally, is I'm, I'm quite a implicit person when it comes to how I promote myself publicly. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'm happy to talk in these one-on-one conversations, but generally in group events or in my studio, I prefer to just keep the classes a little bit more educational and yeah. then the, you choose to play it in your own private space. Because even I know when people come to me and try to learn, they ask me if they can learn rope that is more focused on humiliation, for example, or okay. rope that is a little bit more erotic. But because we're not in an environment where they feel that way, right, because we're learning um, and maybe because I'm a third person who they're not used to having a third person in their play, right? That it just doesn't need to be like, I can teach you some things based on talking and giving you advice, but you can play that in private. Uh, and that's also a very Chinese thing too, is like we have a, a strong delineation between your private life and your public life. So honestly, I feel like even though censorship has affected a lot of my way of promoting the community and promoting our events, I do think that I'm quite comfortable with talking about it in code and being implicit. Um, and I like the kind of cute little secrecy and the little words that we use to explain these things. Mm, there's a certain like, mystique to it when you're using like the secret words and the passphrase and so on. Yes. And I also like this whole idea of setting it up in a very calm and a very easy way for people to understand because I talk to a lot of vanilla people about Shibari daily and then for people to enter a safe space and be like ah this is what it really is um, that's also a nice thrill for me too <laughs> so for our listeners who would like to know more about you and see more of your work where can they find you on the internet hmm. so I started a patreon because of a lot of my issues with social media and just generally to create a good uh, space where I can share a lot of my own personal work, tutorials, uh, some of my writing as well. So I'm mostly going to be active on Patreon. For the last six years, I've been active on WeChat. So that's why a lot of people don't have access to my work. I have a WeChat public account, which is like a blog. Mm-hmm. And that I write, I promote my events, um, and that's where people can search me on like Baidu and uh, different Chinese servers. And if they type in Shibari, I'm quite easy to find. So yeah, I'm gonna move a lot of my WeChat stuff to my Patreon and eventually a website. For now, I do have Instagram, but I got deleted two times, so mm-hmm. I'm very <laughs> about how I post on Instagram. So I don't post a lot on on Instagram so much. Yeah. I have a Twitter, okay. uh, but I, I'm a little slow about Twitter. It's not, it doesn't seem so appealing to me. Okay. <laughs> and uh, physically, where are you going to be moving in the world now that you're leaving China after six years? I'll first go back to London. So I'm from London originally. I'll go back for a little bit and I still want to maintain connection with people in London because a lot of Um, people who used to be my students moved there and I still have some friends and some play partners there too Um, so I'll be there often Mm -hmm. I'll be in Italy as well because my partner right now is Italian so we'll stay in Italy and probably find some interesting places to tie outside Um, so I'll probably be traveling around Italy doing some shoots too And my thoughts were to move to Amsterdam, but I'm I'm not 100% certain. All right. 
Well, if you ever want to visit Thailand, we'd love yeah. to have you. <laughs> yes. I actually was planning to move to Thailand in 2020 when COVID first hit. Okay, but then you went away and then COVID happened. So I was really into Bangkok. I was like, I could find a new home here. Like, it's it's a nice atmosphere. I like the people here. I love the food. Um, so I was I was very set on changing my life and leaving China at that point. But then, you know, COVID was very unpredictable and I ended up going back. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Wawa. It was so interesting to talk to you. No problem. It was good to talk about this as well. So that's all from us at The Rogue Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, where our name is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to Rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page.